Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts downtown at 212 Productions, Beach Street Records, Blim, Dream Apparel, The Fall Tattooing, The Kiss Store, Heart and Soul Clothing Inc., Hits Boutique, Pacific Cinematheque, Scratch Records, Final Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and Zoo Shop. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. Vancouver Asian Canadian Theatre. Plus, free tickets. So, wait for the cue to call. We have Hive the Newbies, presented by Resounding Screen Theatre, and Grey Gardens, presented by Fighting Chance Productions. You're listening to the Arts Report, weekly fix of arts news, reviews, and interviews. CITR 101.9 FM, or streaming on CITR.ca. You can tweet us, at CITR underscore Arts Report or find us on Facebook at Arts Report on CITR. Or you can do what I am going to do in two seconds and let me know what you did this week and what you thought of it. And if it's really amusing, I will read it on air. So email me at arts at CITR.ca. And what did I do this week? I had an amazing, an amazing week of cultural performance. Uh, first, I saw Shemison and Odori, the music and dance of Kabuki at the Gold Corp Center for the Arts, uh, as a few Woodwards. And that was actually presented by Tomoe Arts in association with SFU Woodwards Cultural Programs. And uh, if you don't remember, last week we talked a little bit uh, with one of the artists, Colleen Lanky, who is the founder of Tomoe Arts. She dances under the name Fujima Seyu. And she also brought Fujima Shogo and Tokiwazu Mozibi the fifth, fifth in a line of Tokiwazu musicians. And they performed this really intimate, stripped down, subtle version of kabuki dance, some classic pieces, some vocal narration. Couldn't understand a word of it, all in Japanese. But what I found was as they were doing these dances, 
that were the song uh, the song and story of a warrior who died in battle as well as the a version of the myth of some might recognize it as the crane wife which is the story of a mystical or heavenly bird who loses her feathers loses her cloak to a fisherman and has to dance to regain her freedom uh, as well as a really funny song about three drunks in a boat and a couple of other snippets of traditional kabuki dances. And what's really interesting is that while you may not be familiar necessarily with the symbols or even the words that they use, I actually connected quite deeply with the dancing. And so if you have a chance to see a kabuki performance, please don't be intimidated by the fact that it is all going to be in Japanese. It's quite representative, the movements. There's this one scene where two of the dancers fight and they don't fight, not in a contemporary dance sense where there is actual effort and um, passion in an outward way, but rather it's representative of the movements of fighting and the subtlety and the emotion that they're able to convey in very specific movements. And the humor, actually. A lot of really wonderful humor was really surprising to me. So that may be something that if you're interested in a new experience and a very subtle experience to check out Tomei Arts later in the year. They do a few performances a year and also some really interesting gender performance if you're interested um, a woman playing a male form role now the male form has specific movements involved but the male form may also be used to represent characters that are female so you have a woman playing a man playing a woman so for all you gender enthusiasts out there it's a really interesting experience uh, you can actually check them out at tomearts.org if you want to know more about that Another really cool thing I saw was, I can't believe it's not Butter Chicken, The Fellowship of the Butter Chicken by Bollywood Shenanigans. And we spoke to them briefly last week as well. And again, it, if you don't remember, they are they describe themselves as SNL Desi style comedy. And it's a sketch show, um, brief sketches as well as long form sketches. And it was actually at Studio 700 at the CBC building. And I think that the SNL moniker was really, really accurate. One of the interesting things about it was that um, some of them bombed. Some of the sketches were not that funny. Some were so very funny and interesting. The references and some of the impressions were pan-cultural, did not matter. Um, some of them I heard people say, oh yeah, that's my dad or that's my auntie. And so obviously they were really hitting the mark where it was it was humorous but maybe not laugh out loud funny for myself being not of south asian descent however really great reaction from the crowd and i laughed out loud a lot um so they're they're kind of an interesting um group to check out um if you check out bollywoodshenanigans.com or southasiansarts.ca who are one of their um supporters uh, I, I don't actually think that the sketches that are on their website are as indicative about what they talk about, but I think the show changes from time to time. Um, one of my favorites was actually a sketch that referenced the kind of stereotypical South Asian or even Asian parents. And I think all of our parents really, um, who were really, really almost downplaying how much they wanted their daughter and son to be an engineer um, and a doctor. 
so they are their doc their son and daughter are saying i want to be an engineer i want to be a doctor and they say no you have to be an artist you have to be a dancer you a musician you know we don't want to be stereotypical south asian parents we we want you everyone to know that we want you to be whatever makes you happy and they say no this is really what makes me happy and they get into this kind of fight and as soon as the kids leave the room of course they say yes i'm gonna be an engineer and a doctor what else can we make them do so you can't win. Um, so th- they were really, really funny uh, and very, very friendly. So um, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting experience, I think, to see the cultural references from cultures that you might not be familiar with and how actually common uh, youth experiences in any situation. Another thing that was this week, uh, Sunday, actually, Mother's Day, at the Vancouver Aboriginal Friendship Center, uh, 1607 East Hastings, was story weaving. Now, this is put on by the Vancouver Moving Theatre and the Heart of the City Festival at the Vancouver Aboriginal Friendship Centre. And it's uh, presented by those two and directed by Renee Morisot. And here's a little, little snippet from the description. Twining together stories, poems, and personal memories with oral histories woven from cultural teachings, West Coast dances, and the ancient bone game of Slahal. Slahal is as old as time. It can take everything from you or give you what you need. But do you always know what we need? The old one steps upon his medicine wheel. Let the Slahal game begin. Story weaving is about giving voice to those that have lived within and around the Canadian legislation of the Indian Act. And so many of us moved to the city of Vancouver and found a home here. Our social justice and educational efforts from the 1950s through to today continue to reflect our passion for life, love, and harmony. Story weaving is about our hopes for a good future guided by the principles of our cultural past. And that's Renee Morisot, the director. And I really, really enjoyed this presentation. It was very moving. Uh, there was a traditional welcome at the beginning of the event and this was actually quite a mirrored structure throughout the the performance so you had this kind of slick, cyclical nature this kind of ceremonial nature to the performance one of my favorite performers i believe i want to refer to him as big bob because i know there was a big bob and he was the biggest person so i'm going to assume it was him um this very bombastic character who was kind of a narrator or a guide throughout the process and they are performing upon a medicine wheel north, west, south, and east. Um, and the medicine wheel is a really complicated symbol. Um, and they actually give you a booklet with all this amazing information about the history of Aboriginal arts and culture in Vancouver and the history of Aboriginal pe- peoples in Vancouver. So... Uh, you have the various peoples of the world, the directions, various spirit animals represented. Anyway, it's a very complicated symbol. And they do the performance upon this symbol. You have the old, the the young, the future, the past, and some really beautiful music. But um, the director, Renee, past star of North of 60, can actually talk about all the motivations better than I can. And so I thought that I would let you listen to a little bit from Renee, and then we can talk a little bit more about um, Vancouver Moving Theatre, who's which is a, a really cool um, production company in Vancouver. So please enjoy Renee Morisot talking about the background and importance and process 
of Story Weaving, which is a collaborative effort at the Vancouver Aboriginal Friendship Centre. Give us a snapshot of what the story weaving experience is. In Canada, there are reasons why First Nations communities, First Nations people are coming to cities such as Vancouver. And it seems that predominantly a lot of our um, people have experienced a dislocation to land. And in the case of uh, Vancouver water, a dislocation to family because of residential schools. And a dislocation to some of our cultural and ceremonial practices in regards to the role of women in our communities. And I feel story weaving is the opportunity to explore and journey with one family that has uh, experienced um, that in their in their three generations in their, that we're representing. Story weaving uses performance, storytelling, a game, and music to express the stories that are important with to this community and this family that you're talking mm-hmm. about. Can you elaborate a little bit on what? performance means in the culture of First Nations? And then this is the question that, that a lot of people in our Aboriginal theatre community in Canada on Turtle Island discuss mm-hmm. and share information on because theatre and storytelling has been an integral part in passing down the oral traditions and stuff. And depending on the sort of governance and structures that you have in relation to the songs and dances you do, they're very specified to each community. What we felt with story weaving and why we wanted to use uh, some of the traditional elements of a play in terms of a welcoming and an honoring is those are universal protocols. The audience wasn't so much the audience, but witnesses to uh, story weaving. And I say that uh, with the intention that... um, by using the language of theater, and by using the traditional elements of our, of our cultural practices, in particular here in Vancouver, the Coast Salish Territory, there's such story and such diversity, and, and it's so beautiful. <laughs> it had to be a part of the, of the story weaving. And the, the story weaving is not just about the presentation of the stories, and that's not just the communal aspect, but you actually did a collaboration. So could you tell us a little bit about the process of actually bringing story weaving to life? Vancouver Moving Theatre had uh, asked if I would be interested in helping them put together a story utilizing uh, interviews, poems, and texts from, from different productions and poems from people that have contributed that. We're we're basically wanting to collaborate with community and part of the idea of Vancouver Movie Theatre and story weaving is that there are such diverse stories and and people that are living in the downtown east side, including the East Vancouver area uh, where uh, where the Vancouver Aboriginal Friendship Centre is. Um, It was necessary and, and important uh, to engage in, in uh, collecting the stories that uh, 
people contributed to to story weaving in bringing in uh, the Indian Residential School Survivor Society and partnering with the Vancouver Aboriginal Friendship Center, we thought that we were able to create a uh, a palette of of story that is so much almost a universal reality for urban Aboriginal people. Why are they here? Where did they come from? You guys set up the theater kind of in the round with just two rows of chairs around the whole thing very intimate and also everyone has a great vantage point and can feel really participatory what are the differences if any and similarities between the experience that people will have when they go to see this on the 18th through the 20th and what might be considered traditional community celebration i i that was interesting process of engagement you know the question being asked is, is what do we consider to be theater mm-hmm. and what do we consider to be people gathering to witness a transaction to witness a passing of songs to witness storytelling you know and for the project it was important to us that no matter where you're from who you are and what you're doing, that there is community in, in East Vancouver and the downtown east side in regards to the Aboriginal voice and the Aboriginal participation in Vancouver. That we have outlets uh, to uh, be a part of, of a cultural tradition um, in, a ma- in, in a whole variety of ways. And one of the things is that, you know, you could go to different ceremonies down here that are connected to various communities across Canada and across British Columbia. And it's something that even when um, I was in Calgary, there were individuals there that that uh, were a part of the, the community of, of musicians, you know, like uh, the women's group that I sing with, my girl. And there is always a cultural community in Canada that I know I can go into. And I think this story of story weaving is something that could go into a lot of those community, urban communities in Canada, simply because we have had the experiences with the dislocation to land. There are many, many, many First Nations people that have experienced residential school and uh, for the roles of Aboriginal women. You know, and we have a lot of different initiatives for the families of the disappeared for the murdered and missing women and children so those are real stories utilizing the language of theater and and come partnering that with our cultural practices of seeing the audience as witnesses is an integral uh, uh, practice in our communities and i think that I, I think I, I loved how story weaving kind of combined that through the guidance of people like uh, Marge Cantron White and Woody and Bob Baker and, and Mike Dangeli and Mike Yell Dangeli and Wes Mahaney, Maurice Mahaney. So a lot of these um, performers participated in helping us to define the language of theater and uh, 
oral traditions uh, and meshing it with uh, story reading. I'm pretty honored about that. Thank you so much, Renee, for spending some time with me. I spoke to her after I'd actually already seen the play, so I was in a really, or performance rather, and there were a couple of interesting things in there I just want people to take note of. First of all, the difference between watching and witnessing, which I think is something that is very important in these types of performances. The idea that you are actually a part of the community that is created in that moment. I would also say that it was actually, it was pretty moving. If you do have any type of connection to the downtown east side or the Aboriginal community, or even just myself as I am, um, there were some Kleenexes that were brought out and there were definitely uh, some supportive uh, support workers there to help you. So please don't feel afraid to feel your emotions while you're there and to participate vocally and emotionally. The Heart of the City Festival, downtown Eastside Heart of the City Festival, actually um, runs from October 26th to November 6th. So we'll have more on that later in the year. And Vancouver Moving Theatre is actually celebrating um, 25 years right now. So they were actually based in the downtown Eastside since 1983. And they have won tons of awards. They've done workshops and lectures and performances all over the world. And they like to go cross-genre and really focus on, it seems like, activism, local politics, um, community-oriented theater. And they also do a lot of research. So they've done Drum Mother's Gifts, um, Runner's Tale, Blood Music, The Good Person of Szechuan, and Crime and Punishment with New World and Push. So they're an interesting theater uh, company to watch. Also, I'd like to remind people that National Aboriginal Day is actually on June 21st. It's the solstice. Um, You can look up more on Wikipedia But uh, hopefully I'll be able to put together some special uh, material for that on June 20th, on our June 20th show. So please check out more about them at um, VancouverMovingTheater.com and follow all those guys on Twitter. And um, you can learn more online. Awesome. Um, Please go and visit the Vancouver Aboriginal Friendship Center as well. Um, for education and also to see the show from May 18th to 20th, as I mentioned in the interview. And on Sunday, they have a talk back with a representative from the residential school system um, survivors. So she talks a little bit about what story weaving means in that context, as well as moving forward and healing and doing activism and is a chance for people to ask questions and share stories. So if you're interested in that kind of interaction, please check out the Sunday show. So that would be on the 20th. We are going to take a brief break. And then when we come back, we will have more um, Asian Heritage Month coverage. The Flower Drum Song Sing Along at um, by the Vancouver Asian Canadian Theatre at Denman Cinemas. So please stay tuned and get ready to win some tickets. Artists in our midst welcomes their 20th anniversary by inviting the public to join them for two popular art events this spring. Event one is a free roundhouse exhibit and birthday party on May 16th. 
one day only at the Roundhouse Community Center at 181 Roundhouse Muse in Yaletown. There will be an artist reception from 7 to 10 p.m. And don't miss out on the birthday cake bash at 8. Following up the birthday bash, there will be a free open studios walk on May 19th through the 21st. Studios will be open from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. And to see participating artists and a map, visit the website at artistsinourmidst.com. The month of May is Asian Heritage Month. This month is an opportunity to acknowledge and celebrate the rich history of Asian Canadians and their contributions to our communities. Since its inception in Toronto in 1993, cities across Canada, including Vancouver, have been holding annual festivities to recognize Asian Heritage Month throughout the month of May. CITR will be airing special PSAs to keep you up to date on local events, informative pieces about Asian Canadians in the Vancouver community, and special blocks of Asian Heritage Month programming. So stay tuned to CITR 101.9 FM and logged in to CITR.ca for all things Asian Heritage Month this month of May. All right. Speaking of Asian Heritage Month, um, this is something that popped up in my inbox and at first I don't know I mean I thought it was really interesting it was a, it was a screening of Flower Drum Song and I looked it was uh, put on by the Vancouver Asian Canadian Theatre Company and they were producing it at Denman Cinemas and it was a sing-along I was like oh that's fun and then I was thinking about what that movie means and what place it has in history and I'd never seen it I didn't know much about it and but I just thought well wow I mean there were such stereotypical kind of awful things happening um in movies up until and even now um when it came to portraying Asian Americans and people from Asia around the world so I wanted to know more about what this had to do with uh the you know local asian canadian community and i was interested also because i did a lot of study on media and race and i'd seen 21 i i've studied which is a a really cool indie movie that specifically was like a cheerleader high school drugs and crime movie with all asian american actors and so um that was doing something similar to break down stereotypes. And I also learned about things like yellow face. I don't know if people are familiar with blackface, but this is a very similar thing where white actors would be made to look physically and often stereotypically, usually Chinese, but um, other various Asian nationalities. And then, um, you know, rather than actually finding or hiring or, or promoting actors that wore, um, Asian American. So um, notable examples are like Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's and uh, Catherine Hepburn did some work, even though I love Catherine, uh, like that. So I talked to Joyce Lamb about the movie, about the Vancouver Asian Canadian Theatre's goals and about why why it exists and what its um, mandate is. Now, we started talking specifically, though, about the positive and negatives in the movie, and we talk a little bit about that. At the end of the interview, you actually hear a little clip, one of the songs that we talk about in the interview. And if you are interested in learning more about the other sides of this discussion when it comes to representation and westernization 
and you know things of that nature i will be posting a longer interview um asap and some of our other interviews for asian heritage month that we've done with various troops around the city so that's something you can check it online it'll be about 15 minutes instead of just a lonely seven so please enjoy um joyce lamb talking about flower drum song the vancouver asian community theater and some of the cool things they have um going on there's a lot of positives, and there are a lot of negatives of uh, Rogers and Hammerstein's Flower Drum Song. Um, let's start with the positives. Uh, it's the first Hollywood storyline that actually cast uh, Asian-American actors with strong Asian-American characters. And so what they did was they actually did a whole story about the Asian community, which is the first. And it's only been repeated... Uh, a handful of times since then, and this was in 1961. And this is the, I'm talking about the movie version because the stage production came out in 1958. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to also remember one of the cons is that a lot of people have said that there are a lot of stereotypes of the Asian people in this movie, but it was 1961, and I'm of that age, so I can tell you that was almost a sentiment in society at the time, so it appears to be stereotypical now, but it was actually quite prevalent in the, in the, in the time it represents. And in 1961, one of the um, storylines is um, one of the women characters, she just wants to be a successful woman, which just means she wants to get married. <laughs> and today, that doesn't hold well, but back then, that's what women strive for, and that's what being successful as a woman was. So it's, it's, it's dated, but it's also a, re- a good reflection, I think, of what was happening in 1961 in America and, and in Canada, because it's very applicable to what was happening in Canada as well. Um, one of the pros is that they cast, they tried to find as many Asian-American uh, actors as possible to fill the roles. Um, there was very little yellow face going on, um, except for one of the main characters is actually played by a black woman. Yeah, Juanita she, Hall. Didn't that happen with her... In uh, South Pacific as yeah, well. Yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But um, at that time, they felt that, you know, it's better to have a, a good singer-performer in that role rather than cast an Asian person that couldn't fulfill it. You know, if I didn't know better, she actually almost looked Asian to me when I was watching the film as a young child. One of the things I found interesting looking at the clips was that there seemed to be some some stereotypical approaches, but it also seemed to be really attempting in some way to capture that kind of intergenerational shift yeah. that, of course, does exist between new generations of immigrants. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that seems to be something that is still going to be interesting to society today. Very relevant because um, for kids who are assimilated or who have been born here, with traditional parents, there's always that pull between trying to keep your some of your culture and your tradition while trying to uh, belong with your peer group, which is very westernized and different kind of standards compared to uh, uh, traditional ones. Um, in this movie, in 1961, it's being carefree, playing baseball, and picking your own partner in life rather than having your parents choose for you. Well, that's a, that's a major issue for newly immigrants at the time. I don't think it happens as much now, especially from people of um, Chinese descent, which is these characters. So that 
people probably think it's not relevant today with that. But I think they still like to choose someone to please parents, right? But then that's all races and all nationalities. It is kind of pan-racial, that idea of pleasing your parents and having these outdated expectations. Right. Do you have a favorite song or scene in the movie that you think people will should look out for? Well, the I Enjoy Being a Girl is a classic. Mm-hmm. But I actually like uh, Chop Suey. They sing about Chop Suey, right? Mm-hmm. And they actually mention that Chop Suey isn't actually a, a dish from Asia. It's actually something invented in America. And what, what they do is they relate to this dish because um, it means that everybody's thrown into this bowl and everybody gets along and it tastes delicious. So in, in the sense of America, it's like Chop Suey. <laughs> Yeah, the it's almost educational. It seems almost yes. educational, especially for the time. Yes, because have you listened to the words of Chop Suey? It covers American history. So you know all the famous people and what was happening by them listing all the names of what they're supposed to know for their American citizenship class. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Vancouver Asian Canadian Theatre? I know you guys are in your 13th year. Um, well, we started the Vancouver Asian Canadian Theatre. 13 years ago because I love theater and I used to go to theater and then I just said one day how come there isn't a lot of Asian people on stage and there's not a lot of stories about Asian people on stage so I thought hmm let's do something about it and actually I was quite angry because I thought it was not representative of the community at large Mm -hmm. and so we started with a comedy night to try to entice people to come people to come in we did a comedy night to break down stereotypes of um, what we see in the media about Asian uh, Canadians. So that was a really big success. So with that money, then we did our first play, and we did the Rite of Passage play, FOB, by David Henry Wong, which is, means Fresh Off the Boat. Mm-hmm. And it just we just kept going after that. And we captured a younger crowd with um, Sex in Vancouver, which is based from the show Sex in Seattle, which was based on Sex in the City. <laughs> so basically it was about relationships and dating problems among the young, but all the characters were of Asian Canadian actors. And the best thing about that is that it broke the stereotype that Asian Canadian men um, could play a romantic lead and Mm -hmm. actually get some action (laughs) from women on stage so that people just flocked to it because it was the first time they got to see that. It's basically about regular young people dating so it was kind of neat that um, people flocked to it. And we did, it was episodic. So we did um, four of those episodes over the years. And then we branched out to do some more serious um, shows, such as uh, we did Odd Couple, Neil Simon's Odd Couple, but we cast it with Asian Canadian actors. Oh, and, that would be interesting. And to prove a point that um, if it's not race specific and it's a good story, it really doesn't matter what color the actor is and Mm -hmm. so that gave us an opportunity to show that we can still play roles that are uh, not race specific that tries to tell people we're not always doing cultural dance and we're not always dressed in cultural costumes (laughs) you are like the chinese dish the americans invented what do they call it chop suey that is it (laughs) everything is in it all mixed up i like that chop suey chop suey Living here is very much like chop suey. Hula hoops and nuclear war. Doctors talk and judges of war. Bobby 
Yeah, it looks like a really interesting film um, and just funny and silly in many ways. But there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's there was a real style of film in that era, and the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical is so classic that style. So you can check out the whole movie, not just Chop Suey, not just I Enjoy Being a Girl, which I only know about from a recent Mad Men episode. Um, you can see Sing Along. Flower Drum Song, Saturday, May 26th at 7.30 p.m. at the Denman Cinema. Check it out at denmancinemas.com or at vact.ca, which is the Vancouver Asian Canadian Theatre. And you can actually um, win a prize if you dress up in costume from the show or even just the late 50s. It's 15 bucks. You get popcorn and a drink as well. So if you were going to a normal movie and you just bought popcorn and a drink, that'd be 15 bucks, which is ridiculous. Um, if you want to tweet us right now at, at CITR underscore arts report, or you want to give me a call at 604-822-2487, that's 604-822-2487, and I can figure out how to pick up the phone. So Twitter is a really good idea. I will give you two tickets. Save yourself 30 bucks. Go learn a little bit interesting. Have some fun. It is um, a really cool event, and it is, you know, raise a little money for the Vancouver Asian Canadian Theatre. A couple of things that they have coming up, um, their next few shows they're just arranging for the rest of the year in the next season but one of them will actually be a play based on a memoir by jj lee so that was a measure of a man and i actually reviewed that a few weeks ago i really really enjoyed the book so that will be a tale of you know uh there's the father-son aspect that he talks about um the idea of being a canadianized um you know an asian canadian and so there's a lot of cultural stuff in there, but there's all, it's also just a story of, of a young man and his father. And um, another thing that they're actually uh, working on right now is after the Fringe Fest, they um, will be doing a, another Fringe Fest, an off-Fringe Fest, I guess you could call it, um, that will actually feature people with ethnic names, that's how she referred to it as, so people whose names are not obviously English or um, Western European, I guess you could say, um, who were not picked for the fringe. Now, as she mentions in our extended interview, Joyce mentions, you know, the fringe is by lottery. So the fringe, she's not implying that there's any kind of discrimination, but the fringe does tend to be very kind of European-style theater um, a lot of a lot of white faces, which is fine. But you know, this is a great way for many people with different types of plays and different types of backgrounds to be featured. And apparently, they are trying to work with the Fringe Fest. So that'll be a really cool event, and we'll cover that when we uh, when we do stuff in September later in the year. So a longer version of that interview will be up. You can learn a little bit more about the Western Asian Canadian experience. Uh, on YouTube. I literally just learned how to put things on YouTube, so I have a whole rash of stuff coming up over the next few weeks. Um, so stay tuned to Twitter or Facebook to get updates when I do that. Um, and again, tweet us at CITR underscore arts report and ask for some tickets. Pound flower drum song as well. Hashtag flower drum song. And that's a great way to spread the word as well. Get some free tickets, you guys.
All right. So next. Now, this is a cool thing. Um, and this is happening from May 24th until the 26th at Chapel Arts, which is a interesting looking arts venue. I've never been there, so I don't know exactly what it's like, but it was once a funeral home. And that actually plays really specifically into this show, Hive the New Bees 2. Newbies, get it, you guys? Noobs. Um, I interviewed artistic director of Resounding Scream Theater, which is putting on the event. And she's the co-founder and co-artistic director of Resounding Scream, Catherine Belichet. And it, uh, it's an event where local emerging companies, so people that are new, they have been around for less than five years, are going to put on at the same time in different rooms throughout Chapel Arts plays inspired by the rooms that they're in. Now, this is actually a sequel, and Catherine will tell us a little bit about that, um, but it's 12 emerging theater companies. Each of them um, create an original 10-minute piece, and then the audience wanders from piece to piece. So many of them are on a circuit or they're um, an installation piece. Um, they're students and alumni from UBC, SFU, Capilano, Studio 58, National Theatre School, Douglas. Um, their mandate at Resounding Scream is to work with emerging artists and you know, a lot of new students and people who are just on their own. Um, and they've just started to self-produce. So you can check out more information at hivenewbees.wordpress.com or at resoundingtheatre.com. But let's listen to a little bit more about how this show, Hive the New Bees 2, um, how it's different, what it is and how it's different from previous iterations and uh, what the, um, the goals of the project are. So this is Catherine talking about Hive the New Bees 2. to uh, the original Hive the Newbies, which took place in uh, 2009 as part of the Vancouver Fringe Festival. Uh, what they can expect this time around is 12 emerging companies. So emerging companies, we're taking the definition as um, they've been together five years or less. So they're brand new, fresh out of the gate kind of companies. And they've each been allocated a nook or cranny of the chapel arts which is a gallery and event space on Eastings and Dunleavy. So it's basically the Chapel Arts, it used to be a funeral home, so it's a definitely a very interesting space. And just by lottery, so it was done completely randomly, we gave each company uh, basically a room in the building. And they took the room as their inspiration. So these 12 original and most likely unconventional pieces will all be happening at the same time sort of simultaneously and on circuit, and the audience will be able to kind of move from piece to piece just to get a little taste of what the, each company has to offer, right? What's the difference between this iteration of Hive, the newbies, and mm -hmm. the previous iteration? The location is different, so their inspiration yeah. will be a little bit different. Are there yeah. any other differences? Yeah, we kind of, we organized it a bit differently. We wanted to see it as the next stage of development, right? So the first newbies, it was basically, I think about 50 individual interested artists all came together and we kind of divided them into companies and then they collaborated from there. This time around, we actually approached emerging but still established 
companies to kind of throw their hats in the ring and uh, come up with a piece. So we're seeing it as the next stage of development, as in we've gone from individual artists and we've grown into companies and we're starting to collaborate that way. Can you tell me a little bit about Resounding Scream Theatre, who is producing the event and of which you're the co-artistic director? Me and my friend Stephanie, we both went to Simon Fraser University uh, and we started Resounding Scream Theatre in 2009 uh, because, well, we had this big passion and maybe we were a little bit crazy, but we really wanted to self-produce, as in we really wanted to see our work and the work of our colleagues put up. Why we wanted to actually do Hive the Newbies is that we wanted to kind of offer a new platform, I guess, or a new way for young companies to showcase their work and to kind of grow this community that's still so new and since we're all recently out of school and that sort of thing. So we've been together for three years and this is our fourth big project. And we have a few other things coming up, like we're going to be in the Vancouver Fringe Festival this year. So that's exciting. That is exciting. Yeah. Let me ask you a little bit about the actual development of the individual shows within Hive. Do you know what they're going to look like before you see the event? Do you, can you give us a little sneak peek into any any of the projects mm-hmm. that are happening? Yeah, I can. We've been in touch with all the companies because we need to make sure that their technical needs are being met. Sort of two different kinds of pieces that you'll be seeing. There's pieces that are more of um, installations, as in they'll be happening throughout the night and audience come and go, almost like they can come and check in and see how it's changed and then come back a bit later. And then there are companies that have decided to make approximately 10-minute pieces on rotation. And it really depends on the space that they've been allocated. For example, since uh, the Chapel Arts used to be a funeral home, one company, Rice and Beans Theatre, they're using the old morgue. So I'm really interested to see um, what they'll do there. And there's also in the back garage, someone's using an old Winnebago. Someone's using the courtyard <laughs> outside. Um, also, there's sort of like a bar space upstairs. There's all sorts of different things. They took it as inspiration. So definitely all the different spaces, rather. So definitely there'll be some interesting things happening. One of the things you mentioned in your information was that this wasn't just a next step for this project, but you felt it was a next step for the artistic community in general in terms of the type of collaboration and self-production that we need in the funding climate that we have. Exactly. I find, you know, considering all the funding issues we've been having in the province for a few years now, it's really easy to kind of, uh, to feel a bit, bleak about it for it to be a bit of a daunting kind of landscape especially as an emerging artist to start out in and we're trying our best to resist that we're trying to shed some light on the situation maybe and show that we're not um we're not going to give up we're not going to let it get us down as it were and to kind of put like-minded people on the same space and show the kind of support that is out there considering the funding climate people have gotten very creative and a lot of, I've spoken to a lot of people from Eastern Canada about that, and they, they say it's a very Vancouver thing for some reason to use unconventional spaces. And maybe it's more inexpensive to do that, and, you know, budgets are smaller, so we've had to get a bit more creative. Yes, you definitely have to be creative in Vancouver. It's DIY. It's all DIY. Um, and it's all volunteer. How many of you work for free? That's all I'm saying. Um Hive the Newbies 
will be playing from May 24th until 26th. 2012 at 8 p.m. You can get tickets at brownpapertickets.com. It's at Chapel Arts 304 Dunleavy and it's presented by Resounding Scream Theater. So you can check them out, resoundingscreamtheater.com. I just wanted to give a shout out to a couple of the people that are involved uh, producing, uh, participating companies. You have Escaping Goat Productions, F29, Hardline Productions. Human Theatre Collective, um, In Falling Company, Psyche Theatre, Resounding Scream Theatre, Rice and Beans Theatre that was mentioned in the piece, Troika Collective, Tyler Smith and Brad Tones, Two Wrongs That Write, Working Class Theatre. So I know that's just a bunch of names, but this is going to be podcasted. So you download it, citr.ca slash shows. You write all those down if you haven't already, and you can check, you can check them out and learn more. They look like... Um, interesting production theaters companies so we're going to take another super quick break i'm still waiting for someone to tweet me at citr underscore arts report to get those free tickets to flower drum song and you can also give me a call at 604-822-2487 or just email me at arts at citr.ca if that's your thing i'm not i'm not trying to I'm not trying to keep you down, technology-wise. You do what you need to do. Um, So we will be right back, and we will learn a little bit about the current Grey Gardens that is playing until the 19th. Have you heard of the newly opened NSCS Discovery Restaurant at 1515 Discovery in Jericho Park? Profits support NS Culinary Education Society of B.C., Enjoy breakfast on the beach for only $4.95, served daily from 7 a.m. till 11 p.m. Say you heard this ad and receive 5% off lunch and dinner items until May 31st, 2012. Enjoy breakfast, lunch, or dinner at the newly opened NSCS Discovery Restaurant at 1515 Discovery in Jericho Park and support a local social enterprise. Well-known pimp, narcotics king. Big time racketeer. Back in full force. This could be one of the big moments in your life. Don't make it your last. Look, this thing might be bigger than even we think it is. Do you need an upgrade to the soundtrack to your life? Perhaps a song from a film or a tune from TV? My name is Gap. Exploding Head Movies is here to give you sounds from the cinema, along with the songs that will be defining your future, and those forgotten classics that need a little rescue. Monday, 7.30 to 9 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver. I love exploding head movies. I also love movies with exploding heads. You know, those things, they go so well together. Um, That's kind of a cool show if you um, are interested in the musical soundscape, soundtrack part of movies. Um, I am getting more and more involved with the music of movies I find that for example just saw the Avengers and shout out to a non-local art um really really enjoyed it super cheesy fun super standard kind of big budget action soundtrack but all orchestral now think about the Watchmen 
I'm sorry, but you can't speak back to me right now, so I'm just going to say, I did not like The Watchmen, and I love comic book movies. And its soundtrack was the worst. It was the worst. The pop music brought me right out of it, and it's just so on the nose. I just wanted to actually quickly mention before we move on to Grey Gardens and Fighting Chance Productions that Chapel Arts, um, every Thursday, and this is just from their website, um, Chapel Arts, where the Hive the Newbies is going to be, has an art bar every Thursday. So this might be something fun to check out. I'm going to check it out and I can report back. Um, And it's a night for Vancouver-based artists to showcase their art, share their music, and network. So it's every Thursday from 7 to 11. Um, The other thing that I wanted to mention was that on the opening of Hive the Newbies on the 24th, after the event, for the first time um, on the 24th, they will actually do um, a mingling. So you can mingle with the artists. There'll be some music. There'll be some stand-up comedy. You can eat something. So um, book that into your evening if, if that's something that you're interested in. I like to get some feedback from the artists as much as possible. So something else that's coming up um, for the next few days only. May 3rd to 19th at the Jericho Art Center by Fighting Chance Productions is the musical version of Grey Gardens. Now I have seen I've seen the original documentary and I've seen the Drew Barrymore. I enjoyed them both very much for very different reasons. But if you're not familiar, uh, the story of Grey Gardens is the story of Big Edie and Little Edie, and they are holed up in this dilapidated house, um, neglected house called Grey Gardens. Um, they are supposedly connected to the Kennedys or cousins or something, and. They are completely codependent. They have this like crazy house full of cats, and they're this this these young men. I think they have done decide to do documentary on them and just basically let them talk and film them in their daily life and interview them. And this is pre reality television. It's pre very original for its time. And the other thing that's really interesting about this is that the women I found are that breed of delusional that may also be, like, they may be philosophers, you're not really sure, because what they say is so delusional and cynical and egotistical, uh, which we are all, a little bit, I hope, um, makes you interesting as a person if you're any or all of those things. And yet they say some things and I'm like, that that might be art, what they just said. I'm not sure. So... Think about that. Think about how weird and interesting those shows are going to be. Go and, and look them up. And then think about what that might like be like as a musical. So Fighting Chance Productions has been around since 2007. Uh, this is actually their 25th production in their five-year history. And it is an interview we have here with Kathy Wilmot, who plays Big Edie and Little Edie. So this, is, this was not something that was in the documentary or in the movie. Um, and it's a musical. Um, the first act, the mother and daughter are imagined as having this beautiful life from their days in the New York Society pages. And in the second act, Kathy plays Little Edie. And it's more or less a musical reimagining of the documentary itself. The musical started off-Broadway in 2006 and then on Broadway the same year. And this is the Canadian premiere. It was directed by Ryan Mooney. Now, I would just say that what this sounds like already is much different than how it's 
showed in the documentary or the movie because all we know about their um, background and Edie is little Edie is supposedly had a chance to be a Broadway star of some kind, but um, she had to come and take care of her mother. And in the fictionalized version with Drew Marymore, you do get to hear a little bit from that. You get to hear, you get to see what she thinks her life was, but it's totally based on her story and kind of accounts of the time. She was never a successful actress, as far as I understand it. But so this sounds a little bit more like what they imagined their life would have been at. Um, Ariel Fournier did, who also interviewed, um, the star, Cassie Wilmot, um, says that she really enjoyed the production. It was a really weird way to reimagine the documentary with songs, but she thinks that it works. There's something about the campiness of musicals that just fits with this unsettling plot. Uh, she also liked that the production represents the heyday for the EDs. Um, if it had just been a straight musical of the documentary, it would have been a little bit boring. Um, this reinterpretation goes a little bit deeper and gives an interesting account of how this bizarre mother-daughter relationship came to be. Um, she also liked the actual production of it. It's not particularly high budget, but they definitely made it feel like you really were in, quote-unquote, a cramped, disgusting house. <laughs> so please don't, please don't take that as a thing like you're going to feel cramped and disgusting. But I'm saying that it's a very intimate um, part of the production and the movie. The actors um, also did a really good job as well. Um, her skill in capturing the doddering senility of Big Edie in the documentary um, was really well done. Overall, uh, Ariel thought it was an interesting take on what is for many people the familiar story of two bickering ladies. So let's hear a little bit from the star and from Ariel. And then um, I have a couple of more notes for you. Um, and then we will play some music because there's no reel to reel today, which is pretty sad. Um, but then you'll get to hear a little bit from Shameless. So here's uh, an interview about Grey Gardens, which is on stage right now. And uh, Kathy Wilmot, who plays Big Edie and Little Edie as a young woman. And Ariel Fournier. Obviously, you very rarely get to play two parts in a musical or a play. It's very challenging. <laughs> There's not a lot of downtime, but I do enjoy it. It's it's a very nice variance from my musical theater career so far. <laughs> how how much do you find the two characters bleed into each other? Big Edie in the first act and Lily yeah. Edie in the second. And how much of that choice do you think is because she's sort of becoming more and more like this sort of theatrical person that her mother was. She is trying to be her mom. But the truth is, I mean, you have to base act two on the documentary. Mm -hmm. So you take as much as you can, her, the way she sounds, the way she acts from the documentary. And we're just kind of guessing in the first act how her mom acted. I mean, and portrayed herself because we have tons of research about who her mom was, but we can just guess about, you know, how she really was. I mean, she was taken out of the society pages for being a singer, quote unquote. I mean, they were a very high class family and huh, it didn't turn out too well for them. But um, it, yeah, it is really interesting. The fact that it is this fictionalized account, that was sort of surprising for me to see, I think, after I was used to the documentary. I, I was wondering what you feel is the, the effect of having this version of their younger 
wealthier, presumably happier days, why the musical had that element to it. Right. I think in order to make it a, an interesting musical, there's actually a really good webcast where the writers talk about it. And they said, you know, they wanted to make it interesting. And the only way to do that was to go back in time. And interestingly enough, a lot of a lot of the first act isn't actually fictionalized. It all most of it comes from the documentary, but they just sort of take what they know and make it into a story. Like we do know that Edie was you know, engaged to Joe. Did she date him that often? No, but she was engaged to Joe Kennedy. So this, we know that. We know that her mom was a singer. We know that she had um, Gould live in her house. We know the way that they acted in the 40s. I mean, it, it is fictionalized in that a lot of the things in Act One weren't true, but they're based off of true events. Aside from the fact that they actually do sing Big Edie has her bizarre singing number in the movie. What do you think about this story lends itself well to being made into a musical? If you had asked me that a year ago, I would say it's a very odd topic to be made into a musical. But now that I am so, I, I want to say the word married, but not really, but married into the documentary, I've spent a year looking at the documentary and doing lots of research and now, you know, living this character I don't want to say it like transcends the documentary like this. I think the musical stands on its own because it does have something to say. If you, if you, you're listening to the story and listening to the lyrics of the music that it does stand away from the documentary. I mean, it is a strange topic. It doesn't leave you with a, you know, a great feeling. It's, it's awkward to watch. It's awkward to listen to. Even watching the documentary for me is so awkward. They're so, it's so heart wrenching. These two people that had everything ended up with nothing. I just lived in horrible, horrible squalor. And yes, yeah, so it's a very strange topic for a musical. I think it's a, a very poignant musical. That's my opinion. <laughs> Not everybody thinks the same about <laughs> Great Gardens, but I know everybody that's involved in doing the show um, because we've come to know it and we've listened to it so often and watched the documentary. It just seems like it's such a poignant piece. And it really talks about, you know, the love, if you will, between a mother and a daughter and their relationship and how how it evolved through many years of living together. Yeah. What do yeah. you what do you think it says about actual relationships between people who aren't living under these extreme conditions? Cuz to me what's interesting is seeing how little Edie still has these really kind of awkward teenage mannerisms. Yep. At like 50 whatever that seem really adolescent and it's clearly because she has this bizarre codependent relationship with her mother or at least that's what I read into it but I was just wondering what kind of things you feel resonated or said things about how mothers and daughters relate to each other more broadly I would say that um, the Edie and Edith relationship is, I, I would agree with you, um, Edith, e young Edie is very codependent on her mother, um, but she was also put down her whole life. You know, she was told she wasn't good enough and she had to live up to her mother's expectations. And then her father, who who didn't enjoy her because she was, you know, a bit weird and kooky and wanted to follow in her mother's footsteps and you know, in the 40s, that really wasn't looked well upon in society. But as far as mother-daughter relationships, like, you know, having seen it so many times, they really do love each other. And 
I mean, I don't think that this is a typical mother-daughter <laughs> relationship in any means. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my relationship I, with my mother is fantastic. And, you know, yeah. I, I love my mom to death. In fact, she came to the Mother's Day show, which was a little creepy. But, but she enjoyed the show. She said it was, it, was, it was hard to watch at times because you realize that, you know, these are real people and it was their lives. And, and ultimately, um, there's a song in it that's called Choose to be Happy. Uh, that is... You know, the crux of this thing is we, we can watch this musical and, and criticize it and look at it at all different ways, but ultimately it comes down to we have nothing to say. If they were happy, they were happy. And that's it. That's the message of the show is you, you need to choose to be happy in which any way you can get there, that is that is what you have to do in life. But you like. Be happy with you your choices, with everything. Oh, I think you like your dancing. You're very good at that. Did you see the uh, play on Broadway? T for two and two for three and me for you and you for me alone. Now that's not actually from the musical. That is the original Big Edie singing in the background there and I got that uh, Ariel sent that from YouTube and I, I have to read the description of this because it totally just vindicates what I was saying um, and, uh, so it's Albert and David Maysell's 1975 Grey Garden so that's how you can look it up has since become a cult classic and established Little Edie as a fashion icon and philosopher queen Philosopher Queen, love it. Um, so this seems to be the kind of thing where it does really help to see the original, and you maybe even want to see the fictionalized version with Drew Barrymore um, before you see the musical. I think because they're all such different iterations, none will ruin anything, but it will actually, I think, only enrich the experience. So please, uh, if you're interested in seeing a very, what well, seems to be a quite a unique musical um you can check it out at the jericho art center may 3rd to 19th 8 p.m fightingchanceproductions.ca tickets are 25 bucks at the door and i wanted to mention quickly before we end for the day is that um leaky heaven is presenting their fifth annual fifth quasi annual blink from uh, Leaky Heaven Circus. Over 35 performances, um, inter- and multi-genre and performance-based works. Live music, dancing, projection art by Parjad. And it's actually a formation of artists and collaborations who play with expectations in a variety of performance genres, says their website. Uh, the company has been out of East Van since 1999. Some of their selected works include Peter Panties from February 2011 at the Cultural Center, East uh, the Cult, and was actually part of the Push Festival in co-productions with New World. They've done a street call, Streetcar Named Desire, in an alley house in East Vancouver, and Antigone Undone. Leaky Studios in the Russian Hall. So that's actually on Saturday, May 19th at the Russian Hall. So this Saturday, uh, which is at 600 Campbell Avenue, doors at 7. Apparently last year sold out. And we are actually going to be sending Adam Yanush, former arts director, current correspondent, Vancouver Arts aficionado, and he will have a review for us next week. 
So I would just like to thank um, all of the people who joined us this week. Um, it was a, a really fun week for me. I went over as usual, um, but I think we are all happy with a little extra, right? A little extra arts report. I think there's nothing wrong with that. So I'd like to thank Ariel Fournier and Kathy Wilmot uh, of Grey Gardens, Joyce Lamb of the Vancouver Asian Canadian Theatre, Renee Morso from Story Weaving, and Catherine Balachet from Resounding Scream Theatre. I'm looking at my Twitter, and uh, it looks like we don't have any winners for those tickets. So email me at arts at citr.ca if that's something you'd like to see. I would be happy to send you to Flower Drum Song Sing Along. And you know what? Let's leave um, the show with uh, a little bit more of that after a little bit more about Asian Heritage Month. Have a great night. The month of May is Asian Heritage Month. This month is an opportunity to acknowledge and celebrate the rich history of Asian Canadians and their contributions to our communities. Since its inception in Toronto in 1993, cities across Canada, including Vancouver, have been holding annual festivities to recognize Asian Heritage Month throughout the month of May. CITR will be airing special PSAs to keep you up to date on local events, informative pieces about Asian Canadians in the Vancouver community, and special blocks of Asian Heritage Month programming. So stay tuned to CITR 101.9 FM and logged in to CITR.ca for all things Asian Heritage Month this month of May. I am happy to be both Chinese and American. You are like the Chinese dish the Americans invented. What do they call it? Chop suey. That is it. Everything is in it, all mixed up. I like that. Chop suey, chop suey. Living here is very much like chop suey. Hula hoops and nuclear war. Dr. Salk and Shaja Gabor. Bobby Dad and Sandra D and Dewey. Chop suey. Stars are drifting overhead Birds and worms have gone to bed Men work late in laboratories Others read detective stories Some are roaming round the country Others sit beneath just one tree Tonight on TV's Late Day Show You can look at Clara Violins and trumpets and drums Take it all the way that it comes Sad and funny, sour and honey dewy Chop suey Ballpoint pens and filter tips Lipsticks and potato chips In the dampest kind of heat wave You can give your hair a neat wave that lovely La Paloma lullaby by Pericoma. Dreaming in my maiden form bra, dreamed I danced a cha cha cha. Mixed with all the hokum and ballyhooey. Something real and glowing and grand. 
sheds a light all over the land. Boston, Austin, Wichita, and St. Louis. Chop suey. Chop suey. Chop suey. Chop suey. Chop suey. Promenade, dum dum girl, so hot. Gun in coat, lightly 